You know, last week was Memorial Day weekend, and certainly a good time uh, to celebrate. I, I know the picnic was a great success. But, you know, for our culture, <clears throat> you know, it represents the start of summer. And uh, it's a time of vacations, a time of rest and relaxation. And uh, it's much needed for many of us. And uh, really, when you think of it, the idea of rest is a biblical concept. Rest, by definition, means to seize from work, to minimize activity, or just a time for mental and physical calm. And rest also means a relief or freedom, especially from anything that wearies or troubles or disturbs. Unfortunately, you know, our culture's idea of rest has been distorted to the point that we pursue rest and relaxation to the extreme of just pleasure-seeking or self-pleasure. And we as a culture, with our unprecedented wealth and extravagance, may well be fulfilling the title of an important book entitled Our Amusing Ourselves to Death. We just entertain um, to the excess. It's not the idea of rest in the biblical sense. But God designed God designed rest when he rested on the seventh day from all his labors. You find that in Genesis chapter 2. God also commanded his people to rest. That's the fourth commandment. And called it a Sabbath day, or the Hebrew word for rest. You find that in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. You know, this day of rest was meant not only to physically rest, but to elevate our hearts and our minds in worship to give thanks to God and set it aside as a holy day. Pastor Vincent this morning read Hebrews chapter 4, and the author writes there to warn the Jewish Christians receiving this epistle about the danger of not receiving God's rest or entering God's rest due to unbelief. And this has been a concern from my own heart um, as I have this opportunity to preach. This morning, I would like to inform and invite you to be diligent, to be diligent to enter God's rest so that you do not fall short in obtaining this wonderful gift from God. So I have a series of five questions I'm going to ask and, and answer and the first is context here is, what is God's rest? What is God's rest? You know, the writer reminds the audience that God had previously promised rest for the people of Israel in two ways. An earthly rest, there through the land of Canaan, and an eternal rest beyond this life. Remember, these were the people who were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, they were, and God miraculously delivered them from the bondage of slavery and suffering and promised them a land to inherit that was filled with good things for them to enjoy. So both in chapters 3 there, in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, the writer talks about entering God's rest. He talks about it 10 times there. And he quotes Psalm 95 in these two chapters to illustrate the point that the Israelites were given the opportunity to enter God's rest physically and spiritually. 
But now when the writer is talking about God's rest, he is referring an eternal rest. You find there in verse 3 that, that for we, have believe, we who have believed enter that rest just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's talking about God resting from his work in creation. And God's creation was whole and complete for man and all things. And then God rested from his works. In verse 10, the writer notes that for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his work as God did from his. It talks about the people of God resting from their work through Christ. So what is entering God's rest? What does that mean? It is what Psalm 95 describes in verse 1 and 2. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You know, that's what essentially we'll do in heaven, is we will sing and shout to the glory of God and just wonder at his, not only his greatness, his goodness, his majesty, um, but we're going to relish in our salvation. But some of you may be thinking, well, that sounds kind of tedious or, or boring, but Psalm 71 tells us in verse 15 that my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. I mean, it's beyond imagination, the numbers. I just think of Psalm 139 when the psalmist writes that God's thoughts towards us is more than the sand. Every time I go to the beach and I see all the sand, I think of God. His thoughts are more than all the sand that I see on the beach. That's how God thinks of us and how God has brought salvation to us. And we who will inherit this rest will enjoy his presence forever and ever praising God. That's something to look forward to. That is exciting. And, and I trust that, you know, as you come, we're, all we're doing is rehearsal. Each Sunday we come, we are rehearsing for what we are going to do for all eternity is worshiping our great God. But what does it mean? What does it mean to fall short? I mean, that's the warning that, that the book of Hebrews is all about. Verse 1 says, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his, his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Verse 11 says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. You know, to fall short means to fail in something, to come short, to come short of missing the mark, not to reach it, not reach the goal. To have failed to, is to obtain, it's failure to obtain God's favor. It, it's fall, falling short of the true recognition from God. That's what it means to fall short. I think of Romans 3, 23. You're familiar with that passage that for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. You know, this letter to the Hebrews is actually called an epistle of warning. Repeatedly, the writer warns the Jewish Christians not 
to drift away. You find that in Hebrews 2.1. Not to fall away, chapter 3, verse 12. Not to harden your heart, chapter 3, verse 8 and 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. That's found in chapter 12 and verse 15 and 16. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. That's in chapter 13, verse 9. So to fall short means to not enter God's rest, not to reach heaven, not to finish well. You know, you can be so close. The Israelites were so close to reaching the promised land. You can be so close by experiencing God and yet be so far. The people of Israel is that example when you read the Old Testament. So I asked the first question, what is God's rest? Second, what does it mean to fall short? Third, how did, how did the people in the past fall short of entering God's rest? How did the people in the past fall short? You know, listen very carefully. It wasn't a lack of knowledge of God's word or his will or being eyewitnesses of his power and grace. Verse 2 says there in chapter 4 here, it says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. In verse 4, he quotes Psalm 95, 8 and described it as the hardening of hearts. And it, when you read the account there um, of the exodus of the people of God, what, happened, what was their response when they were delivered? Throughout the account, you read the people were whining, complaining, griping, rebelling against authority, stealing, moral failure sexually, etc., Worshipping false idols. What happens when God's word is not embraced by faith? The writer there to the Hebrews notes, he describes these people as ones who neglect such a great salvation. You find that in chapter 2, verse 3. They are ones who test God, chapter 3, verse 9. They are going astray in their hearts, chapter 3, verse 10. They did not know my ways, chapter 3, verse 10 again. They provoked God, chapter 3, verse 8 and 15 and 16 as well. And it led to, it led to sin, chapter 3, verse 17. It led to disobedience, chapter 3, verse 18. And ultimately, it led to unbelief, chapter 3, verse 19, and also in chapter 4, verse 6. You know, the Puritan pastor John Owen rightly states, quote, they who receive not this testimony make God to be a liar, both Father, Son, and Spirit. Unbelief acted out 
includes a contempt of the wisdom of God, a denial of his truth or faithfulness, an impeachment of the sincerity of Christ in his invitations, making him a deceiver and will issue and express hatred of his person and office and of the wisdom of God in him, unquote. In other words, what unbelief does, it leads basically to call God a deceiver, God a liar. And that is exactly what Satan did, right? In Genesis 3, surely you're not going to die. He didn't even really say that. The danger of unbelief is, is quite frightening. And that's why the warning. Sobering words. Very sobering words. And that is why the author states there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, for this reason, we must pay much closer to attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Who's the we? That's you and I, and by application. Pastor John Piper writes, states it well in his book, Future Grace. Highly recommend the book. When he notes, quote, the memory of God's power and grace in Egypt is meant to strengthen faith in future grace and free Israel for fearless obedience. But this is what repeatedly did not happen, unquote. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 78, <clears throat> 5 through 8, soberly describes what the people of God should have been doing. It says there, For God established the testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful in God. In summary, the people in the past, they did not take God seriously and fell short due to unbelief. I went over what is God's rest? How does, or what does it mean to fall short? How did the people fall short? Fourth question. What are the, what are the hindrances today to entering God's rest? And there are three, three arenas. Three arenas that are hindrances to entering God's rest. Number one, our lack of faith to fight sin. Our lack of faith to fight sin. Hebrews 3, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm covering all over Hebrews, and so you're, um, if you're taking notes, try. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> uh, you can get the video later. I'll send the transcript later. Uh, but Hebrews 3 says there in verse 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. You know, brothers and sisters, unbelief is real, and it's a constant danger. 
You know, it can, it can be found exactly what was quoted. I um, quoted earlier in, in chapter 3 of just testing God, going astray. They did not know my ways. They provoked, led to sin, disobedience, and, and unbelief. That, you know, that can describe us. Congregation, listen to me. We are no different than the Israelites. And that, that is what the author is seeking to warn the New Testament church then and by extension today, to us today. You know, our lack of faith to fight sin <clears throat> of unbelief shows up in many ways and leads us to the sin of, I mean, I could give you a whole list. The sin of worry, the sin of fear, cares of this world, friendship with the world, pursuit of pleasure and opposition to God's word. The list, you know, the list of idolatry is, is endless. I, I, um, I could just be going on on the, those because we are just an idol factory. We are ones who create all kinds of um, habits or actions that are really hindrances and, and really expresses that we are not fighting uh, the faith to fight sin. Our lack of faith to fight is a major hindrance to entering God's rest. Do you believe that? It's a major hindrance to entering God's rest. John Owen, in his uh, popular words or famous words, says it, says it succinctly. If we are not killing sin, sin is killing us. And it's so true. We must fight sin but our lack of faith to fight sin is, is one of those hindrances today. Another arena is our lack of faith to fellowship in order to fight sin. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, when church becomes optional in your mind and you don't value the fellowship of other believers for wisdom or counsel or support or encouragement and to do likewise, you find yourself unprotected in, by deceitfulness. We all are easily deceived and become deceitful but we need each other to help us, to remind us, to encourage, to stir one another to love and good works. That's why we come together. We are to remind one another. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other to just, brother, sister, keep the, keep the faith. Don't, don't get out of balance, out of focus here. Um, here in chapter 4, the writer the writer here has fellowship in the local church in mind when he, when he writes there that let us fear. Let us be diligent. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. It's this let us versus I'll just do it by myself. It's just me and Jesus. I'll just do it you know, by myself. No, we, need, we, we are doing this. We're walking this faith. This, uh, the need for fellowship to fight sin. We need each other. And that's why the encouragement to come together, it's not optional. 
It's not optional for me. It's mandatory, not out of legalism, but out of, I want to be like Christ. And I know that I look at you brothers and sisters as one who helped me to grow, to help me to persevere, to, so that I don't grow weary or discouraged. I look at my you know, senior saints. I love being around them. Even in some of their testimonies as they give, they're not always pretty. Life is hard. Life is painful. Life is filled with sin. But when I talk to them and hear about God's faithfulness in their lives, it reminds me, you know, God has been working in their lives. God is working in my life. And I need to be diligent to pass that on to those coming behind us. That I may remind them and teach them and instruct them as well that the God we serve is a faithful God. And so we must, our lack of faith to fellowship in order to fight sin is one of those major hindrances. As I said, our lack of faith to fight sin and our lack of faith to fellowship in order to fight sin are two of those major hindrances. The third is our lack of faith to follow Jesus, to fight sin. You know, when Pastor Vincent read the, that last section of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, the writer says, therefore, and he's re- referring to all that in entering God's rest, that God has provided a mediator, someone who has come in our place, because we can't enter God's rest apart from this one. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, this lack of personal relationship with Christ or abiding in Christ would be rejecting the writer's words of drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace. We need Jesus. Not just a not a time, it's not one of those, you know, I accepted Jesus many years ago and now I have nothing to do with him. I need Jesus every hour, every minute, every day. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Jesus is that in John 15. I think of 1 John 1, 7. says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is awesome. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. You know, I don't ever want to be on that position of saying I make God a liar. But our unbelief Our lack of faith to follow Jesus is exactly what we're doing. And so, what are the hindrances today to entering God's rest? Our lack of faith to fight sin, our lack of faith to fellowship in order to fight sin, and our lack of faith to follow Jesus, 
to fight sin. You know, the expression of being so close and yet so far is so appropriate. How many of us have heard what God demands, and yet we do not respond in faith or believe his word? We may even be flippant or turn away or turn off and basically not desire to heed God's word. The attitude of, yeah, right, whatever, or I'll turn to God when I'm near the end of my life, and, uh, when, uh, but you know, for now, I want to live my life my way. I want to, I've done it my way. You may, you know, you may not actually verbalize that, not here at least in church, but, but your life is reflective of this statement. You see, the Israelites did not lack, again, they did not lack a knowledge of God's word or experience his mercy. Again, you, you recall the accounts that God delivered them out of bondage. They saw the evidence of God's wrath and judgment on the Egyptians. They escaped an evil army. They were provided, protected, and led by a humble leader in Moses. They saw the evidence of God's grace. They even tasted of what was to come. And yet, they did not make it. They did not, except for a few, right? Well, how do you prepare? How do you prepare to enter his rest? What should you do? I'm glad you asked. If I were to center on one verse, um, I know I've covered a number of verses in Hebrew, but if there's one verse I would focus on this morning is verse 11 of chapter 4. It says, therefore, let us be diligent. The English Standard Version says, I like, I like that word, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. In other words, make every effort to live in harmony or at peace with God. And that, you know, throughout Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author uses several action words throughout to exhort the people, pay close attention. Don't neglect your great salvation. Consider Jesus. Do not harden your hearts. Take care against an unbelieving heart. Exhort one another. Fear unbelief. But I like this. Let us be diligent. Let us strive to enter that, uh, enter that rest. And I want to provide five practical ways. You know, I, I began with saying we're entering the summer season. And I want to give really five practical ways to prepare, to be diligent, to strive, to enter that rest. You know, summer, as I said, summer vacation is a great opportunity to do that, to prepare your hearts this way. And I'm going to give you five. Um, number one, make time to recognize God's creation and majesty. You know, as you go out on vacation, make time to look at the heavens, the stars. I think of the father-son fishing trip. I, I love it. Just go out there and just see the, the stars out there. Just being, beholding the beauty of God's design and handiwork through creation. Whether you go out to the oceans or to the desert or the mountains, just looking at the animals, the plant life, you know, remember, all things were created by him and for him, and he upholds all things with his righteous right hand. I mean, it's, it's all there, evidence of God's 
wonderful creation. So make time. Make time to recognize God's creation and majesty. Um, Psalm 95 there says, verse 3 through 6 says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Take the time, make the time when you go out. Even when you go out surfing, for those of you who surf, just behold his wonderful creation and just prepare this way um, to strive, to be diligent. Number two, make time to recall. Make time to recall upon God's mercy upon your life. Can you see God's withholding his wrath and judgment that you deserve? You know, when you sin, we deserve judgment instantaneously, but God has been merciful to all of us. None of us are exempt. He has withheld his judgment to us. He has been a merciful, mighty God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Are you able to identify how he spared you sp specifically from calamity or disaster? Can you recall that? I think of Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Think about that. Ponder on that. Take, make time to recall God's mercy upon your life. How do you prepare to enter this rest, I said recognize, make time to recognize, make time to recall, make time to rejoice, number three. Make time to rejoice upon God's goodness corporately. <laughs> I say that. That means to worship and give thanks to God, the author of all good things. Psalm 84, 11 and 12 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in him. And I think we need to come and rejoice. That's why, again, God's means to us is a, a local church to come and corporately rejoice upon his goodness. Number four. Make time to renew your minds through reading the scriptures. Make time to renew your minds through reading the scriptures. You know, we, in, in chapter 4 there, uh, verse 12, God's word, it cuts clean through our hearts and soul. For the word of God is living. It's not dead. And, and it's active, not docile. It's sharper. It's not dull than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need to be saturated in God's word to renew our minds. You know Romans 12, to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, or the English Standard Version says, that you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, when you start renewing your minds through, through reading the scriptures, it will lend perspective who God is. Because after verse 12 there comes verse 13. 
And it says that nothing surprises God, for he sees everything. Sometimes we forget that, you know, when we sin, we kind of forget that he really sees everything. But when you read the scriptures and have your minds renewed, you realize that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I need that reminder. <laughs> and when I read that, I go, oh, yikes, he sees it all. Nothing surprises God. But I need to be reminded through the reading of the scriptures to have my mind renewed. There was this Puritan pastor, Henry Scudder, um, he was a, one who God used to inspire many other Puritan preachers. He wrote this about rest. And he was actually writing to other preachers. But he said about rest and recreation. He writes, quote, Whatsoever your diversions be, you must so recreate the outward man that you may be no worse, but rather better in the inward man. In all, an immediate end is to revive your weary body and to quicken your dull mind. But your highest and principal end is that with this refreshed body and quickened spirit, you may the better serve and glorify God. Unquote. Again, preparing to enter God's rest is to renew your mind and body through reading the scriptures. How do you prepare to enter his rest? I said, make time to recognize, make time to recall, make time to rejoice, make time to renew your mind and finally, make time to remember your great salvation. You know, when we partake in the next few minutes here, the Lord's Supper, we gather corporately to remember our great salvation in Christ through the giving of his body and shedding of his blood on our behalf. And we need that. We need to always remember our great salvation. When we forget, we find ourselves just deceiving ourselves and then making God a liar. How are you being diligent and striving to enter his rest? You know, if you're not preparing to enter God's rest, my question to you is, why not? Are you presuming that life will just carry on and, and just continue as it is? You know, life may be good right now, but the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ. Life may be awful right now, but I know we'll be better because of Christ. You know, heaven is not just a place of rest, but it's, a, it's the restoration. It's the restoration of worship, of relationships, of unhindered fellowship with, with Almighty God without sin in the way. That's something to get excited about, and you ought to be preparing you know, but if you, however, if you think that life is good and, and you don't have the promise of God's rest, listen carefully. This is the best you can expect right now. And that is terrifying because not entering his rest means facing the wrath of God. When you come to church or grow up in a Christian environment and live in unbelief, you can be so close and yet so far from entering his rest. Do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Let me close with a thought here. One early summer afternoon, there was an elderly couple res residing in their home during their retirement years. It seemed like another day. 
the wife went out shopping with a friend and returned to find her husband of 52 years dead on the couch of a self-inflicted wound. The husband wrote a note thanking his wife for the many years together, but he believed that his health was deteriorating and he did not want to be a burden to her or the family. He wrote that he believed he will enter an eternal rest that is far better than his current suffering. What is so sad about the count was that he believed that his life, this life, apart from Jesus. That was written exactly two years ago. It's my dad. I wish my dad believed the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know, I'm not the only one in this room who weeps for those close to them who are resisting and fighting to believe God's rest through Jesus. To live as if this life is all to live for or rejecting God's word or the love of Christ and believing there's another cheap substitution. You know, what's so sad about this story of my dad is not only his eternal state, which is sometimes unbearable to fathom, but the complete rejection, listen to this, but the complete rejection of God's kindness, patience, mercy, and provision for his soul. Brothers and sisters, may we be passionate. May we be passionate about declaring God's wonderful invitation to enter his rest through the provision of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became our high priest, our mediator, our redeemer, and friend who's closer than a brother who loved us with an everlasting love to die in our place that we may have the privilege of entering his rest and not face the wrath to come. Listen, do not harden your hearts. You may have heard this about the love of Jesus, but do not harden your hearts. Don't be so proud or arrogant or heartless to believe that you deserve this rest and others don't. You are if you believe in this eternal rest through Christ, you are the recipient of his mercy and grace upon your life. Take care, brethren, that there, that there not be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest this summer. Let me close here in a word of prayer. Father, we come together 
recognizing that indeed you have promised rest and we thank you because you have provided it through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us, help us to believe and, and to abide with you. Father, I think of the hymn and the lyrics say, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. Lord, we ask that you would help us to draw close to you because you have made it possible that we can draw close to you. Thank you that that is all found in Jesus. And this is his name we pray. Amen.